Well, greetings. Welcome to The Dividing Line. My name's James White coming to you from, I don't know. You know, it's funny. <laughs> I thought um, that this was going to be the first time I ever stayed at this uh, campground that I'm at. Because it didn't, it didn't ring any bells. And as soon as I pulled off the road, I'm going, this looks familiar. I've stayed here twice. I think this is my third time. And I do know that once I pulled in here, you can pay like $10 to drop tanks, to dump your tanks. <clears throat> I don't remember why, where I was that made that helpful to me. But anyways, so here I am. And there's one road. Oh, man, I, you don't even have to work hard to throw there. But the um, uh, actual I-40 is, I think, just over that direction. So, yeah, you may hear the song of the KOA campground. <laughs> I don't think... Yeah, I just see trucks going by there. That's about three tosses of a stone. So that's not too bad. Um, I don't think there's a, a railroad track nearby, and I don't think there's an airport nearby. But we are within 300 yards of the uh, of the freeway. So, yeah, that's, that's the way it is. I'm hoping, honestly, um, to be able to make sense today. Because uh, I'll just tell you straight up, uh, we lost a kitty today in my family. And, you know, it's so weird when it happens fast. And that's normally how it happens. You know, something happens to get hit by a car or, you know, all of a sudden to get fall over sick or uh, get shot by the BB gun or who knows. And it, and it just happens so fast. There's no dreading. There's no, you know, it just boom. And when I left our little Coper, um, 15 years old, um, the younger brother of Darth, who died last summer, uh, where I held him while he died, um, we, we, had, we had three. We called them the Floof Council, and they had started doing this thing where, like, right at sunset, they'd all go out in the front yard, and uh, we'd go out there and sit there and watch them playing, and and uh, Cobra would just sit there and watch the other two primarily. Though once in a while, Deanie would jump on top of him, because Deanie's a, a kitten, and that's what kittens do. <clears throat> and they'd wrestle around and stuff, and then he'd climb up a tree, uh, Deanie would, not Coper. Um, he used to do that, uh, and in fact, Coper's the one who years ago, probably 13 years ago, a couple of times, brought still living pigeons into the house to then let them go <laughs> fly around the house. I'll, I'll never forget that one. You, you have any idea how hard it is to pick up pigeon feathers when they've been flying all the house? Thanks, Cooper. Appreciate that. Try killing it next time, you know? Anyway, um, but we would have the Floof Council meeting out there, and, and Deanie and, and Sophie would be chasing each other around. <clears throat> and the, the day before I left, I had my warm clothes sitting out on the bed, and, and Cooper's, Cooper's kneading on it and grousing at me because he, oh, he would love to talk. Sometimes he'd just talk and talk to drive you crazy. And he's just, and everything's fine. And last Friday, my wife tells me, I think Cobra's not feeling good. And then he gets real lethargic and he stops eating and drinking. And she's like, I, where should I take him? So this morning she got him in the carrier, uh, gets him to the vet, and he has feline leukemia. And uh, he's gone. I mean, he was. We've, I found that out as I got into the truck to pull out this morning. And by before I got here, and this is a short trip, this is a short leg of the trip, shortest of this trip, um, he was gone, and uh, at least she she held the phone there, and I was able to say bye bye. That's not the same thing as being there, but um, happens fast. 
happens really, really fast. And uh, I don't know if we are going to reconstitute the Floof Council in the future. You know, uh, you never know. I mean, we got Dini because he was found in packing material at my son's work. Uh, they found the three kittens hiding in these uh, in packing material. So you never know uh, what, what might happen. But anyways, so I'm hoping I will be somewhat coherent. It's been a bit of a rough day um, around the White family. And um, uh, so there you go. Uh, we'll, we'll see what goes of all that. I, I wanted to do this program today because tomorrow is a long leg. And um, uh, I, I want to make sure to get the program in because I don't know that I'm going to get to Conway because that's where I'm heading is I'll be getting to the seminary tomorrow. Uh, the class starts Thursday. Uh, and I just, just realized my, my brother there in Conway contacted me somehow. Forgive me. When I meet people at conferences, they will talk about how they've been listening to me for years and years and years. The thing that freaks them out is I'm the same at the conference or in my presentations as I am on the dividing line. There's no, I'm not smart enough to have different personalities. Uh, <clears throat> and so I'll sometimes, you know, throw things out and chase a rabbit and, and you know, have all the rest of this kind of stuff happening. Um, there's a friend of mine uh, in Conway that contacted me <clears throat> about working on the truck. He's an expert mechanic. Need to know if we need to do anything on the truck. I can't tell exactly how, you know, you get this thing on the splash screen of your phone and then it disappears and then you try to find it. And it's like, how, was, was that a text message? Was that a, I am was that was that a standard text message was that an Apple text message was that something in Facebook was that a DM in <coughs> excuse me wow where'd that come from gotta start stop smoking um don't worry I don't um it, it frustrates me because I'll see something and then I can't find it it's gone I, I there's two we were never designed to have this much data coming at us from so many different channels. We just weren't. Um, it's um, yeah, it's weird. Um, so I it, that's, I need to try to find that again to say to my friend, nope, actually the truck's in great shape. <laughs> Everything's working. Everything on the RV is fine. Um, you know, I, I may actually just be able to bring the RV home and then park it in our parking place rather than taking it to the RV shop, uh, which is what we've been doing the last couple of trips to have stuff worked on. Um, who knows? We'll, we'll see. I mean, it's nice to get it cleaned and <clears throat> flushing the tanks always helps and stuff like that, but <clears throat> everything's working. Uh, all the electronics are working. The air conditioner's running. I have to have the AC running right now. It's only doing the fan, but yeah. So, great. Okay, anyway, I wanted to get this program in. Because <clears throat> um, I don't know, once I get to Conway, I'm going to be very, very, very busy. The class is an intensive class, so it's all day long. And when you get done teaching from like 8 in the morning till 4.30 in the afternoon, 
uh, there's not much left of you. Uh, you you don't want to be doing almost anything else. And so I'm not real big on like going out and eating afterwards because everybody just wants to keep me talking. It, by the end of those, by that third, by Saturday noon when we wrap up, my voice will be, my voice isn't all that good right now, so it's really going to be a mess by then. <clears throat> so anyway, wanted to get this program in because I am absolutely astounded at what has happened in the just couple days in the in Saturday night, <clears throat> Sunday, and through today. And I'm sure I've missed some stuff. I've seen I've seen Rich quoting some stuff that I just simply haven't had the time or the energy once I got here and got set up um, to even go track down from Leighton Flowers. But I, <clears throat> I, I, I'm a little astonished at what happened in the debate on Saturday afternoon in Tullahoma, Tennessee. For those who do not know. I did the third of the five debates. Oh, by the way, there's my nope shirt. I needed to make sure. See, I told the fellow in Tullahoma I would wear the T-shirt, but I would always wear it underneath something else because <clears throat> men should not wear T-shirts after age 25. <laughs> it's just not right. Anyway, <clears throat> just T-shirts. You can wear a T-shirt underneath something else. But, um, yes, the nope program, uh, nope. I have a friend who criticizes me for saying nope to him all the time. And... Um, but I do that purposely just to drive him crazy. I do a lot of things purposely to drive that particular individual crazy because it's fun to do. Um, we have one of the most amazingly weird relationships. <laughs> Exists primarily electronically, but we see each other yearly and it just sort of continues on and he's a dear brother and um, it's great. But anyway, <clears throat> uh, I say nope to him all the time. I've just never had anything happen like what has happened over the past uh, 48 hours. Uh, I've, I've thought back over the debates um, and, you know, when um, when we had the don't quote me bro incident with Dan Barker, you know, when he literally appealed to the moderator to stop me in the middle of my presentation because I was quoting from his own published works. Yeah, but I didn't present that here. It's just like, wow. Uh, <clears throat> clear evidence that he realized that what he was selling in the foyer of the church was a bunch of phooey. Yeah, that was that was a good one. Um, <clears throat> but in this instance, what happened is that we had a debate with Jason Breda. Now, Jason Breda is a nice guy. Uh, much better looking than I am, that's for sure. Um, Well-spoken, and that was a step up from the year before where we had Thomas Ross, who just talked so fast that it was obvious to everyone in the audience he didn't care that they were there um uh, jason bretta was trying to communicate to the audience and not do the fedex talking guy thing uh, so that was improvement from the year before but um the problem is that from a debate perspective and i don't know if our debate coach friend is going to review this or if he could even survive reviewing this particular debate <clears throat> from a, a official debate perspective there really wasn't one um it was pretty much on the same level argument wise as the steve tassie debate 
Um, I predicted what was going to happen. We had been told that the provisionists, and especially Leighton Flowers, who attended part of the conference anyways, <clears throat> and was there to support <coughs> Jason Breda. I do have a cough button there. I just turn it on and off. Um, I'll try to remember to do as much as I can. <clears throat> um, that they had been funneling what they considered would be the best way of argument, uh, arguing to Jason Breda. And so I predicted that there would be a lot of David Allen stuff. Um, if you talked anything about the specific audiences mentioned in Scripture, the church, the sheep, stuff like that, then you'd, you'd get the standard David. Well, it doesn't mean it's only them. And <clears throat> so I, I expected all that. Um, I knew that we'd be getting most of that. Problem was, my opening presentation um, could have been completely predicted if they had wanted to do so. It's interesting, after the debate, um, I think either this morning or, or last night, I actually uh, went... How much space did I spend in the Potter's Freedom on Hebrews 7, 8, 9, 10, uh, especially 7, 24, 25, uh, Romans 8? I couldn't remember. I wrote it almost a quarter of a century ago. And I don't go back and necessarily read these things over and over again. So I popped open an electronic copy that I have. And... <clears throat> If you watch the debate, it'll be posted fairly quickly. I do have the audio. I asked for the audio so we can establish exactly what was said because there has been a controversy that has arisen. <clears throat> but it'll all be out there <clears throat> very soon. And um, if you watch the debate, uh, you will see that in my opening statement, I do not have any notes. I am simply using my, my Johnny Cash... Legacy Standard Bible, and I am making a biblically based presentation <clears throat> of what I've said over and over and over again. Trinitarian Harmony of the Gospel, <clears throat> specifically um, the idea that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are working in perfect harmony with one another to accomplish the exact same end. Um, and that <clears throat> the relationship between the sacrificial work of Christ as high priest and his intercessory work as high priest, all of which is a part of his mediatorship, that <clears throat> the, the ones for whom Christ intercedes before the Father are the same ones for whom he died that if you say that he died for a different group than those from whom he, he intercedes, and that's what Jason Brown was saying. He's, he actually said at one point <clears throat> that Christ's intercessory work does not begin until a person believes. And so it's our believing that enables Christ to intercede 
uh, rather than there being rather than you following the uh, high priestly paradigm um, in regards to who Christ atones for and um, who he then intercedes for. <clears throat> so I pretty much split my time between Romans 8, Golden Chain, then the courtroom scene, God's elect, who shall separate us, walk through there. And of course on this program, we've done that many times before. We've done that in response to, to David Allen. We've taken his <clears throat> most scholarly articles and materials and have walked through them and refuted them directly um, on this program and walked through them in depth. So that's what I did. Now, that would mean that after the opening statement, and Breda's opening statement was almost completely devoid of biblical content. It was very much a David Allen disputing what the reform view of the atonement is. This is all stuff from Tony, um, the guy that gave all the material to David Allen back when David Allen was tasked with dealing with uh, the reform doctrine of, uh, of the atonement. What was that, 2010 at the John 316 conference? Whatever year that was. <clears throat> uh, same stuff. I could recognize a lot of that stuff in his opening statement. It, it did not present a coherent perspective, and it was nowhere near exegetically based at all. And so you immediately have this contrast between the two. And in fact, if you watch the clock, um, I think we had, was it 10 minute or 15 minute rebuttals? Uh, may have been may have been 2015, whatever it was. I didn't use all my rebuttal time. I didn't have anything to rebut. I, I mean, I went back over certain basic statements, but there hadn't been a, a coherent, compelling uh, counter-argument presented. There have been scatter shots here, there, and everywhere, but as far as actually interacting with a position, what, what was I supposed to do or say? So, <clears throat> when we get to the rebuttal, his rebuttal, this is where he should be dealing with my positive presentation. He should be dealing with Romans 8. He should be dealing with Hebrews. Now, what he had done is he presented this. Never heard of it before. Never, ever heard of it before. So in his, in his, in his opening, <clears throat> he spends a bunch of time asserting that the Jews are the primary audience of Romans 1 through 8, and then it shifts to the Gentiles. And I'm like, D -d -d what? Jewish Christians or Jews as a whole? Because there's all sorts of stuff in Romans about where the Jews are referred to in Romans 1 through 8. The Jews are referred to in third person, not second person. So uh, Romans 3, 1, you know, what advantage has the Jews? Um, is, is asked by Paul if, if he's addressing the Jews then what advantage has the Jew 
or what value what is the value of circumcision great in their respect first of all that they were entrusted with the oracles of god so is that a different are those different jews than the believing jews in rome and and behind all of this was well you know after the expulsion of the jews and the beginning of problems around AD 51 and the the Jews are coming back, and there's all this speculation about, well, Jews are returning and stuff like this. I'm, I'm just going, what is this? And the only thing I could come up with <clears throat> was that he's basically saying that when we get to Romans 8, and it's talking about who should bring a charge against God's elect, he even said that's primarily about the Jews. And I'm like, what? what? I mean, I, I've just never heard this before. Not... I don't know of it in any meaningfully orthodox uh, commentary on Romans or anything like it at all. Um, this is addressed to the church at Rome. Um, the whole point of saying, for example, in Romans chapter 3, there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, is to say there is no distinction between Jews and Gentiles. All stand equally condemned before the bar of God. That's what Romans 1, 2, in the beginning of 3 is all about. And so, I mean, I'm sitting here going, <clears throat> am I really hearing this? It, it is the level of desperation so deep that you'd be willing to fundamentally disconnect Romans from the purpose that has been understood down through the centuries in regards to here Paul is writing to the church at Rome and this is as, as it's been described by many people in beginning their commentaries on Romans it's the gospel according to Paul it is let's lay this all out and let's send it to the church where if they have it in their possession because of all the correspondence the the militarily, governmentally, economically, all roads lead to Rome, and hence all roads lead from Rome as well. And that means if you have a sound church there in Rome, then what's there is going to filter out. And so I'm sitting here, I mean, I honestly am going, what is being said here? Because there wasn't, it, he wasn't exegetically disputing. He's saying, oh, you're just starting from the wrong foundation. So what he's doing is he's bringing in an overarching claim that's not derived from the text, but it's meant to change the meaning of the text. And I've seen this many, many times before. It's what Joseph Smith did. It's what Charles Taze Russell did. It's what Ellen G. White did. Um, this is how cults start. This is how cults defend their uh, rejection of certain biblical doctrines. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm sitting here going, what? so are you literally, is, is he literally saying in his opening that Romans 8 can't make these kind, you can't make this kind of application because this is only being addressed to the Jews? And so I get my rebuttal and I'm like, this is one of the most dangerous things I've ever heard. What, what? What? So the Spirit only intercedes for <coughs> for Jewish Christians uh, with groanings that cannot be uttered? 
sorry, I've got the windows open, and I'm maybe in some area where there's all sorts of stuff that's really getting at me, or it's just simply the same stuff I've had for eight weeks now. Um, I, I just really trying to figure it out, <clears throat> what's what's going on. So when he gets back up, oh, no, 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 there, there's stuff that's applicable to Gentiles. Well, please give us a consistent hermeneutical principle whereby you will be able to determine what is for the Jews and what is for the Gentiles and what's for both, and you're not going to get anything like that. <clears throat> so he gets up in the rebuttal, and he does not rebut any of the exegesis in Romans 8. He just simply says, overarchingly, well, it's about Jews. And it's like I hadn't even spent half of my opening statement in Hebrews. It, it just it just doesn't even get touched. It's like, it's like I, I, I had spoken in tongues and no one had any idea what I said. There was, there was no rebuttal on his part of my opening statement. So on any scholastic debate ground, the debate was pretty much over at that point. If you do not even try to make a, a good effort, a good faith effort, to refute what the other side is saying in their main points, if you just try to ignore that they're there, um... The, the debate's pretty much done at that point. So, <clears throat> we get to the cross-examination period, which wasn't nearly long enough, but even then, um, once I got to a certain point, I, I almost felt like going, eh, well, so much for that. Why are we even bothering with this? So we get to cross-examination, and we're, I ask questions first. And if you watched um, the purgatory debate, for example, um, which had twice the amount of cross-examination uh, that we had in this debate, <clears throat> what I want to do, and what I've done in debate after debate after debate, I want to get into the text of Scripture. And I want to press my opponent to be consistent in handling scripture and to illustrate when they're not because if we're debating then my assumption is they're not actually deriving their their beliefs from scripture they if they're not christians obviously that's the case if they're um in some way shape, you know dealing with roman catholicism they have other authorities things like that <clears throat> i want to get into the text of scripture and to demonstrate the inconsistency of their own handling of scripture and so we talked a little bit about Romans 8 at first. And I was trying to, again, asking questions about where do you get this stuff about this is only the, the Jews. And, <clears throat> and then I started talking about intercession, and I went to Hebrews 7. And so um, let's listen to this. <clears throat> I'm going to play the section because this is where all the controversy has come up. Um, that this was a, an absurd question to ask. I was asking about an obscure text um, and that you shouldn't expect someone to be able to give an answer in a debate uh, to a question like this. Um, literally, that's what was said. So let's see if I can make this work right um, and let's listen to what, uh, what took place. In Hebrews chapter 7, 
Um, did I did I miss while I was taking notes? Something did I miss your response to Hebrews seven, eight, nine, and ten, or did you choose not to address it? No, oh, I didn't. It's not that I didn't choose to address it, but uh, uh, but I think that if you if I'm coming from the position that the intercess the intercessory work is not. I understand the, the logic and the consistency that you want to have within the systematic in which you hold to. And so I do like, you know, want to say like, that's good that you want to be consistent in the theology in which you have. But I don't see, uh, but we're, we're working off of a different foundation. So if, if Jesus from eternity past, if God did decree that there is a condition that needs to be met, and that condition is faith, and he's given us the ability of the will to then exercise faith on Christ, which is not a work, then we then, through Christ, are now redeemed because we have met that condition. And so Hebrews, the Hebrews, whole argument that you, that you want to you're, present, you're, you're I think, You're going is, on and on and on. Uh, let, please just answer my questions. Hebrews 7.25 says, Therefore he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Do you see a connection between the giving of intercession and the accomplishment of saving Pantelas to the uttermost or forever? Uh, the way that you're connecting it, no. No? Okay, then please look, look at, at, at Hebrews 7.25 and uh, exegete that verse for me. Tell, me. tell me how, why the first part of the sentence is not connected to the last part of the sentence. Yeah. Okay, now, <clears throat> there's the question that I asked. I had just asked him, and I'm going to play his response, uh, but I, I think people need to understand, and, and if you're not looking at the text, um, I, I think it would be wise if you did. Uh, <clears throat> Hebrews 7.24 through 25, and I'm... Um, oh, let me see if I can, yeah, there we go. Um, <clears throat> let me switch over this. Let me see it. No, not the still. Yeah, the one side's a lot bigger, but I can point to stuff. So I'll go ahead and, I'll go ahead and use it. And I really doubt this is going to work, but hey, look at that. It covers half of what I want, but I can scroll up on that. Uh, <clears throat> So, it's speaking of Christ and his having his priesthood, uh, right here is the term, operabaton. Uh, but since he, um, but since this one abides forever, operabaton ekaitain hierosunein, he holds his priesthood, <coughs> sat three times while you're trying not to cough. He holds his priesthood operabaton, without a successor. Now, the day before, was the day before? Yes, uh, I had spoken, and I went through some of this stuff. I went into more depth in some areas in the debate and less depth in others. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, his priesthood is unlike the priesthood of the Aaronic priests because they're kept by death from continuing. But he holds his priesthood, it can be translated permanently 
or without successor. I went into some of the detail the day before. This is relevant to the Mormons and their claim to the Melchizedek priesthood and all the rest of that stuff. <clears throat> but verse 25 is what I was focusing on. Um, hence, he is able, sozine aista panteles dunatai. He is able to save a particular group. The ones drawing near through him to God. In that he's always living, zone, ice taught with an infinitive. Um, very common in Paul. Um, I don't think that this particular, you know, you know, my theory is Paul preached this in Hebrew and Luke wrote it down in Greek. <clears throat> I start with the infinitive. <clears throat> Why is he able to save forever or to the uttermost? Because he ever lives to make intercession who pair altone. I'm sorry, I left that up there. Who pair altone for them. So the intercession is for a specific people. It is not universal. I would argue that the intercession of the high priest is identical to the audience of the sacrifice that the high priest performs. And if, you, if you're going to say that the high priest intercedes for a different group than those for whom the sacrifice is made, then you have to prove that. You can't just assert it. You've got to prove it. I've never seen anybody even try. <clears throat> so, my question that I ask so you here, you know, I understand cross examination, debates are moving along, good clip. Um, you have to think on your feet. You, you've got to hear what's being said. You sort of have to be anticipating. And you've got to know the subject well enough to know that where the questions are coming from. But, this is a verse. He uh, <coughs> he went after John Owen, accused him of eisegesis. <coughs> I've had to disagree with John Owen on a few points, but man, you do so with fear and trepidation if you know what you're doing. And I have no reason to believe, all due respect to Jason Brett as a nice guy, he can't read Greek. He does not know the language. And he has it, it, documented his less than first semester understanding of fundamentally basic things that John Owen knew when he was a teenager. Okay? So he's got no ground at all to be accusing or to even substantiate an accusation against Owen. Anyway, <clears throat> so here is the question. You heard me you heard, heard me say. Verse 25, he is able to save Pontellus forever to the uttermost. What's the relationship between Christ's intercession and you'll you'll notice this is verse 25 over here. This is a sentence diagram, not my sentence diagram. Um, I just put myself down in the little corner down there. Um, it might help if I did. Yeah, now we don't have that in the way. <clears throat> so I'm down in the corner now and, that's, and I'm little teeny tiny down there and that's fine. Here are the this, this these sentence diagrams 
are I don't I didn't do these. Okay? Um so don't don't try to say, oh you just did that so that it supports your position. No. This is this is a resource you can purchase in accordance. It's in you can buy it in Logos, um, in a number of different resources. And not every sentence diagram is going to end up being identical because there are interpretive elements in it. But this is somebody else's. <clears throat> and most people can't read sentence diagrams, and I can assure you that Jason Breda cannot read this sentence diagram either. Um, again, you say, you're being dis No. We go back and listen to the hours we did where he's saying, the Greek proves Calvinism wrong. And it's like, no, you don't know Greek, and you're wrong about what you're saying, and you're confused about the subjunctive, and you don't know what a present tense verb is, and there's just all sorts of stuff here. Um, <clears throat> here is... Verse 25, <clears throat> and I wish we still taught this stuff in school. Um, I hope all you hom homeschooling moms and stuff are teaching your kids to sentence, sentence diagram because they may hate it now, but they will thank you at a time in the future. So, therefore he, Christ, dunatai, is able to do what? Well, the, the direct object, he is able, sodzain, to save, <clears throat> even unto the uttermost, modifying phrase that goes with that. And then here you have, who is he able to save? The ones drawing near through him to God. So here's the first part of the sentence, is here. But then you have the second part as a, and this is, this is what, what my question was. How does this part relate to this part and specifically how does zone pontate always living ice tall with the infinitive uh to intercede who pair altone now altone is wrapping up what's right here those drawing near to god through him <clears throat> so they're the ones that are he is interceding for but what is it about this that is related to this ability to save ice ta pantales. Okay? Now, <clears throat> this was central to my assertion. This was central to my opening statement. This is central to what Owen has said. This is central to what I wrote in, the, in Potter's Freedom. <clears throat> if you're going to debate me on this topic and you've had months to prepare don't come back and say, well, I didn't know you were going to say, what an obscure text is that? I'm sorry. <laughs> it's just, the di it's, it's in print, folks. It's documented electronically, in print, whatever else you want. It's right there. And I've already posted on Twitter what I wrote in, in Potter's Freedom. I post on Twitter just one example from The Death of Death and Death of Christ of John Owen. I think it was pages somewhere between 30 and 32, so it was early on in the book. So th th this isn't some hidden thing. Uh, if you're going to debate this topic, you have to be prepared to deal with this. It's been presented in the opening statement. If you cannot deal with the positive side's opening statement, you lose the debate. It doesn't matter what else you say. It doesn't matter what else you throw out. If you cannot respond to their argumentation, you lose the debate. That's how it works. And so... The question was, the question literally was, 
Because you could you could argue there's sort of a semi-break after priesthood at the end of verse 24. Um, but the, the, the sentence that forms verse 25, I'm asking, what's the relationship between the first part and the second part? It's pretty straightforward. Pretty straightforward. And my argument is he is able to save to the uttermost because he ever lives to make intercession for them. The intercessory work of the high priest enables him to save to the uttermost, and that means his work as the high priest is in behalf of Huper Hamon, those for whom he is interceding. You see, he Jason's got it backwards. <clears throat> he says, our faith then allows Christ to intercede for us. The reality is, his intercession with the Father is what saves us. It's not our fulfilling conditions. And now we've fulfilled a condition, now he can intercede for us. The condition is that we are in him. They're the ones, we are the only ones who draw near to God through him. Because we have been united with him. There really isn't any concept within provisionism of the reality of our union with Christ in the reality of his death. We only become united with Christ when we believe. So again, it's always from time trying to extend up to look at what happens in heaven rather than recognizing there is the eternal and there is the temporal. We experience in time only that which reflects what has been done in reality in eternity. So <clears throat> I was united with Christ before I existed. And if God does not have a divine decree and perfect knowledge of the future, that, that's an absurd statement, but Scripture plainly teaches that he does. <clears throat> and so the, the elect were united with Christ in his death. My name is graven on his hands. Don't sing that song if you're a provisionist. No provisionist can sing before the throne of God. Can't do it. You're lying, and you know it. Can't do it. You don't believe your name was graven on his hands. So this verse needs to be understood. You need to be able to explain. Because I had presented this as being vital to then transitioning into new covenant, new, better mediator, better promises, chapter 8, forgiveness of sins, right law upon the heart. Into chapter 9, he enters into the holy place having obtained eternal redemption. Chapter 10, once for all, no longer have a reminder of sins. Instead, we have a reminder of the sin bearer. We are perfected by the one will rather than the preceding will. Uh, the one sacrifice of Christ. I mean, this is it's the gospel. And this is really the longest continuous, contiguous uh, section in all of Scripture that talks about the atoning work of Christ. There isn't anything longer than what you have in the book of Hebrews, which I've argued is why most people don't have a biblical doctrine of atonement. They have an emotional doctrine of atonement. Because Hebrews is not the favorite book of a whole lot of evangelicals today. <clears throat> so, there you've got the background. There's, there you see it. Um, de -de 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 -de. There we go. And turn that off. Uh, off. There we go. Um, 
now you now you got the background, right? Okay. And I need to uh, unmaximize that screen so I can get back to the whatever program I was using to play the audio. So I have now asked him what's the relationship between the first part of the sentence and the last part of the sentence. I've said, give us your interpretation, give us your exegesis, because he he had said. I don't see the, the connection that you see. Well, now we all see it. <laughs> we see it in the grammar. We see it in the sentence diagram. We see it in the language. Okay, so what are we going to do with that now? Well, let's, let's listen to what happened. Well, I, I don't think I would be able to do the proper justice like today to do that, but what I'd love to do is to, to return to that at a later point in time and do a proper exegesis. I'd be glad to do that. Um, so, you know, I don't You're saying wanna... you will not exegete a verse, a, a verse that is specifically on the subject well, of our debate this evening? Exegete one single verse is going to be difficult because you need to properly understand the context, and the context truly matters. And so... Um, I'd rather have more study to do that first and then provide that kind of response. I'd hate to th do a throwaway statement. I'm not trying to win an argument. Um, you know, I'm going to submit to whatever the text says. But I Okay, now let me just stop there for a moment. <clears throat> Hebrews 7, 24 25, as appeared in John Owen, who he accused of eisegesis. Um... It appears in Calvin. It appeared in my own book on this subject. And you've not read Hebrews well enough to be able to give your own understanding of the relationship between intercession and the high priestly work of Christ? You, 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 this is something you're going to have to do down the road? I, I, was, I was at a loss. I, I, I was literally sitting there going what's going on here and i said in my closing statement the debate ended there and it did it did to, to any i think to any person who's listening the debate did end there because that was a central aspect of my positive presentation and he won't touch it he spends all of his closing statement and rebuttal time chasing all the david allen stuff and then all this weird stuff that's out in in the in the weeds about the jews and romans one through eight and and stuff like this and if you will not even answer the question of what a single clear verse and then it was said by Leighton flowers that this is an obscure verse now he tried to back up and 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 try to def not defend but deflect having said that <laughs> it tells you everything you need to know about the traditional nature of provisionalism that its leading spokesperson can literally look at a text we just had it on the screen that is so plainly central to the topic as like, ah, it's obscure Okay, um, there you go. So, that was in the positive presentation, not touched. Okay, give us your interpretation. Um, I really can't do that. Uh, maybe sometime in the future. 
Um, <clears throat> okay, well, that sometime in the future will be after the debate's over. <laughs> so uh, that's that's a bit of a that, that's a bit of a problem to have it after the debate's over. I don't want to. I don't want to do that. I would rather give a proper response and do a proper exegesis. Uh, just one last thing. Um, <clears throat> you um, uh, two, two last things then. All right. John chapter three verse seven. Okay. Um, <clears throat> you maybe you can tell in your voice. Maybe you can't. I'm sitting there going. I looked back at my notes. I still have my notes here. I left my um, remarkable tablet at home, and so I've been using my uh, iPad and the keyboard to take my notes. I'll have to do the same thing in the last two debates. <clears throat> and so I'm literally sitting there going, do I just stop? Do I just stop at this point? Because honestly, Anyone who knows and respects debate knows that this debate just ended. Um, my, my opponent is not prepared to actually engage with the biblical text. And maybe, maybe it was decided beforehand that that would be a bad thing to do. Don't try to, in cross-examination, don't allow White to drag you into, what does this mean? And, and how do you understand that? And what about this phrase? And Don't let them do that. <clears throat> Stay as far away from that as you possibly can. We've seen what happens when people try to go there, and it's ugly. <clears throat> and in fact, Flowers has admitted that, for example, the cross-examination questions that he asks me were not about my statement. They weren't about my opening statement at all. They were, in essence, Soteriology 101 tweets. Uh, and in fact, I've thought often since Saturday afternoon, I think Jason Breda was abused by Leighton Flowers and by that side to be their mouthpiece when he doesn't even fully understand what their positions are and hence can't meaningfully enunciate them. I think that, I think there was a, that was just abusive um, on their part. And the questions that, that were being thrown out, again, did not reflect... See, the questions are supposed to... Um, draw out further um, information concerning the presentation was made, but that's never been how Leighton Flowers has worked. Look at look at the debate with Romans nine. You know he had all that stuff already written out. What I said in my exegesis of Romans nine was irrelevant. He was debating a completely different topic, and so he was just going to follow that. And he thinks that's perfectly fine. Leave it up to him. <clears throat> we'll uh, see how that works um, March seventh, but. Anyway, uh, so all those questions that he was asking aren't dealing with the positive argumentation regarding the biblical teaching of particular redemption in two of the absolutely definitional uh, passages in Scripture. I can't think of any that are more definitional than those. And then in the closing, there were a couple, again, more David Allen stuff, because I did mention at one point, I don't. I think it may have been in rebuttal, since I didn't have much to rebut, I could sort of wander around a little bit. 
I did make reference to Christ dying for the church, Christ dying for his friends, Christ dying for his sheep. But I said, and what makes those relevant, and hence you can't just simply try to say, well, that's, uh, that's this kind of logical error, that kind of logical error, which is what David Allen does. Um, when you start with the biblical teaching of what the atonement actually accomplishes, that he is able to save the uttermost, a particular people, those for whom he intercedes. Um, when you look at, and I, I didn't get into this, it would have been really useful to do so if we had more time, uh, Revelation chapter 5, and what the Lamb has done in purchasing a people uh, to God through his blood. Uh, when, you, when you get into some of those other texts, it's very clear that the atonement is not a provision. It's not like what Rome says, where, where the, the atonement merits grace. Um, it's actually a substitutionary. It actually accomplishes something. And therefore, in light of that, to say that I die for my sheep and then turn around in the same context that you are not of my sheep becomes significant because of the overarching biblical meaning of what atonement actually accomplishes. <clears throat> so, <coughs> um, so what happened there at the end uh, of the cross X is I'm looking at my notes, looking at the same notes I'm looking at right now. And uh, the first thought across my mind is let's just stop. I stopped my rebuttal early. Let's just stop. This is there's no reason to beat the proverbial dead horse. But then I glanced at this and I saw the John 317 thing. And so um that's what you heard me bringing up right there at the end. And what this was about was let me see if I <coughs> I guess not. John 3.17. So we know John 3.16. Obviously, everyone knows that real well. <clears throat> and then John 3.17 says, For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Oh, look at that. I guess if you hit the other button, it messes up the size. We're going to have to fix that. Well, it might it, it might fix itself when I reload the stuff on it, but anyway, oh well. So, um, here's the phrase right here, or the portion right here. But in order that the world might be saved through him, and he made the the statement in his um, I think it was the opening statement, it may have been the rebuttal, but before cross X. <clears throat> he made the statement, well, actually, well, I'd have to bring that up and that would mess up the screen. <clears throat> I could tell you which one it was in. But he made the statement that at the end of verse 17, there is doubt or hesitancy in the last phrase, nor that the world might be saved, might be saved through him. So the, the idea is, see, the, the cosmos is all these different people it's not just the elect. It's not just 
those that are going to be saved. And they might be saved, they might not be saved, but it's just a provisionist type thing. And there's doubt involved. And I'm sitting here going, okay, I, you know, I've tried. A number of months ago, when we walked through Jason's videos, I tried to explain to him that he doesn't understand the subjunctive. You have people, they will open up the Blue Letter Bible and they'll <clears throat> click on stuff and there will be basic explanations of <clears throat> indicative versus subjunctive versus optative versus imperative. These are all things that you have to learn in, in first year Greek. And then, problem is, in second year Greek, see in first year Greek, you learn the you know I learned the 8k system so I learned genitives and ablatives and then you get into second year and there's a 5k system genitive ab ablative is actually a subcategory of genitive they're the same form so they, they don't it doesn't really matter how you do it anyway you get into second year Greek and you're, you're really proud of yourself I can recognize a genitive <clears throat> you get into second year Greek and you discover that they're at least like minimally 12 different syntactical categories of genitives and actually more than that it's very rich especially if you throw the ablatives in but anyway and the same thing is true looking at indicatives subjunctives especially subjunctives because you have all sorts <coughs> of uses of clauses so you have hina clauses that can give you purpose or result. And that's what you have here. And so I asked him, here I'll, I'll, I'll play this uh, for you, sorry. You know what? Uh, um, you don't mind. Team, um, you made a, a claim about it. I, I hadn't brought it up, but you, you made a claim about John 3.17 in your rebuttal period. And you made the assertion that there is something uncertain um, at, the, at the end of verse 17. Do you, do you remember what you said? When, yeah, it, when um, it says, in order that the world might be saved through him? Mm -hmm. Do you know what a Hinnah clause is, sir? Yeah. What's a Hinnah clause? Okay, well, I'm not going to give you the good definition that's probably going to be accurate, but I know of it, so. But you don't know what it is. Well, I couldn't give you a good proper definition for it right okay. now. Okay, uh, last question. Sorry about that. See, I've got to turn the monitor off and turn the microphone on and turn this there and, and too many things. Sorry. So you heard what he said there at the end. Sorry for the silence there. Thank you for the uh, message. I asked him what Hinnah Clause is, and he says, I, I can't tell you. Except he already had told us. Or he pretended to tell us. Because if you don't know what a Hinnah Clause is, 
<clears throat> he has assumed that this verb right here, sothe, because it's in the subjunctive, introduces hesitancy, doubt, so on and so forth. He doesn't understand what a henna clause is. It's a purpose-result clause. The Son has been sent to the world not to judge the world, but the sending of the Son is so that the world might be saved through him. That's the purpose of the sending. It's, it, it, it has nothing to do with hesitancy. It has nothing to do with uncertainty. It's talking about a Hinnah clause gives you purpose or result. The purpose of the sending was for this. Now you're not going to get that from just reading the Blue Letter Bible description of the subjunctive. And you're not going to get that when you get into until you get into second year Greek and you start dealing with that kind of the, the, the syntactical categories. You start reading, um, you know, Wallace's Greek grammar beyond the basics and and see all the different ways, the rich, beautiful ways that the Greek language can express these things. But here's the point. <clears throat> Leighton Flowers said that I, I, I raise irrelevant points about the Greek. <laughs> we'll see how irrelevant it is. Leighton, we really will. Um, this is not irrelevant. It can't be irrelevant when the speaker, based upon his misunderstanding of the Greek, has made an errant assertion because he doesn't read the language. That makes it quite relevant. Very relevant. And that's what I was asking about. That's what I was asking about. There's a lot more I could say. Uh, we've... we've the, the, the last part of the um, the last part of the question that I asked was he had made reference um, to <clears throat> he made reference to Luther's anti-Jewish works <clears throat> and uh, <clears throat> Evidently, this is somehow in the context of maybe this explains why Reformed people don't see what I've discovered, uh, that the Jews are the ones being referred to in the first eight chapters of Romans. I, I'm, you can only guess. It really wasn't clearly expressed. <clears throat> and so I asked him, I said, um, do you know who Johann Eck was? Uh, I've heard the name. Um... Maybe I'll remember to link to it, maybe not. Um, but in on Reformation Day in 2017, I was in Washington speaking at a conference there, and I, I did a presentation on the two Luthers. And it was a discussion of the large difference that exists between the pre-1525 Luther and the post-1525 Luther, the impact of the peasants' revolt upon Luther, <clears throat> and that Luther, prior to 1525, is very open to the evangelization of the Jews, freedom of the Jews, things like that. His anti-Jewish stuff comes later, um, when he becomes much more of a curmudgeon. And his works had next to no meaningful influence upon Reformed churches. Really didn't. And in fact, Luther's book wasn't nearly as bad as Johann Eck, which is the weird part because Eck was his mortal enemy. 
was from really before the Leipzig disputation through the rest of his life. <clears throat> Roman Catholic, of course. Um, an X book on the Jews was horrific. It had much wider impact than, than Luther. Um, oh yeah, I know, the Nazis picked up on stuff later on, but as far as influencing exegesis and reading, uh, if that's what is being thrown out, wow. Um, again, when you make these kind of comments and you've, you've never read Luther's materials, you don't you don't know his life, you don't know his history, you don't know what was happening during his life, you don't know what the Peasants' Revolt was, or any of these things. Um, just stop it. Don't make silly statements when you don't know what you're talking about. Uh, it, it just, it, it's, yeah, it's, it's pretty sad. So, <clears throat> in conclusion, uh, it is truly astonishing that in a debate where it is already well known, I hid nothing. I didn't come up with anything new. I had no notes. I did not even have notes in front of me. All I had was my my uh, Johnny Cash Bible. And I'm like, I've got, I think it was 20 minutes. Uh, let's split it up between Romans and Hebrews. Let's let the courtroom scene, let's follow the pronouns. Let's let the text speak for itself because you know, and, and as I've said, I I offered. It's funny the people that were giving their information to Jason Breda are primarily dependent upon uh, uh, one particular source of information, and I've offered to debate that scholar. I offered to walk into his classroom when he was still teaching at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, David Allen. I offered to walk into his classroom on campus of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary with nothing but a Greek New Testament to debate this issue. He would never take it up. And there's a reason for that. And so we had, we had put everything out there on the table. And so I'm simply trying to get the other side to make a case, to explain why my position's wrong. Not to be going after all this stuff over there and throwing some dirt over that direction and over this direction and doing the provisionist, let's just focus on what we, let's take any topic, whether it's Romans 9, whether it's atonement, and let's make it all about our questions, um, our stuff. And that's, that's what the cross-sex, that's what his questions of me during the cross-sex was. We, it, again, it was the hijacking of the topic. It was how you lose the debate fundamentally. Um, but I'm trying to get him to define his position. Take a stand. Tell me what this text says. I say this text teaches what I'm presenting in this debate. I'm not going to do it. It was indefensible in the debate. And the attempted defenses afterwards only make the whole thing worse. They only make the whole thing worse. Really, they really do. Um, 
<clears throat> so, uh, Leighton has said that uh, Brother Bretta's response was humble and mine was arrogant. <laughs> just, just keep that in mind. So you need to understand something. You can go into a debate. You can say the other guy is wrong. You can ignore his presentations. And when he goes to Bible verses that he has explicated from the original languages and asks you to answer it, the humble thing to do is to not answer. And it's arrogant to put forward what you have to. Think about what that would mean. Think about what that would mean in the debate that I'm going to be doing after the debate with Leighton um, with a Unitarian. So when I present biblical texts that identify, when we, when we dig in deep to Hebrews chapter 1, where the writer quotes from Psalm 102, 25 to 27, which is uniquely about Yahweh and his immutable, unchangeable nature, and applies it to the Son. And I have to go back to verse 8, and I have to demonstrate through the use of the introductory statements and the citations that this is actually about the Son. When I do all that stuff, I'm going to have to do it as an arrogant person. And the Unitarian, I guess, if he goes, oh no, will be the humble one. Wow. Apply this stuff outside of the Calvinism, synergist, provisionist stuff, and you'll see it's absurd. It wouldn't allow you to def defend the Trinity, the deity of Christ, the resurrection, justification by faith. Nothing. Couldn't do any of it. But these guys are so focused on this one thing. They're willing to utterly decimate how we do apologetics anyplace else. How we do hermeneutics, interpretation, exegesis, anyplace else. Just to be on this one topic. Wow. Wow. I can't do that because I actually do deal with these other perspectives. And if I were to become that imbalanced, then I'd never be able to respond to all the rest. I'd, I'd be out, out here doing my own thing and easily refuted by the people that I'm, I've become imbalanced this direction, so they're going to get me from that direction. It's obvious. And yet, there you go. <clears throat> so, sorry about the... Uh, silence there. I'm glad Rich was near his phone and was able to remind me of that. <clears throat> Too many buttons to push when you're focusing <coughs> excuse me <coughs> man I wonder when I'm going to get over all this stuff. I don't know. It would be really nice to be over it before the last two debates but I'm teaching all day Thursday, Friday and Saturday. That's not generally how you get over stuff. Um so prayers, prayers appreciated uh, would, be, would be really great. Okay, there you go. We went for an hour and 15 minutes, and I'm really in the, the middle of nowhere. So the, the fact that, unless Richard could tell me afterwards, we've had a bunch of breaks in the stream, the fa fact that we've seemingly held together is um, a little bit of a testimony as to how, at least slowly, um, 5G and cell coverage and everything else has been advancing because I'm sort of, yeah, it's, it's been great. <clears throat> I'm sort of in the middle of nowhere right now. Um, no major cities nearby at all, and yet we've done pretty well. So that's, um, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. <clears throat> so anyways, um, 
I don't know when we're going to be able to do another program for the simple reason that, um, you know, I, tomorrow's a long day. Might be able to do something Wednesday. There's already at least one fellow who wants to do a debate review, which we just did, um, on Wednesday night. And I have a chiropractic appointment, thank goodness, I can barely move my head right now, <clears throat> on Wednesday too. Might try to sneak something in there, but I can't see how Thursday or Friday or Saturday that I can do anything. Um, you're, you're just, when you're teaching an intensive course in a seminary and it goes from 8 in the morning to like 4.30 at night, <clears throat> there ain't no room. We've done stuff after class, sort of, uh, once or twice, it's sort of tough to do. Uh, I'm not sure that I'd want to try to make that happen. But maybe something will come up, and that's what we'll do. I don't know. We'll, we'll find out. <clears throat> but appreciate your attention. Appreciate um, those of you who really want to understand these issues and do not want to be taken in by the emotionalism that literally leads people to say that it is inappropriate in a debate, to ask someone to interpret the Bible. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Played it for you. It's right there. Uh, it's going to be posted real soon. I've got the transcripts. That's that's how it works. So, um, prayers for continuing uh, travel, because I've got a lot of places yet to go. Um, and safety and all the things that go along with it. I appreciate your watching and we'll see you next time.